Hey, I'm Amber and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. And today we have Renee Jones with us. She is an emotional eating coach. I first saw Renee at KetoCon 2019 and I just happened to uh, catch her uh, presentation and I thought it was amazing and it really kind of made me think a lot. And I actually still, this is kind of funny because I got this at KetoCon and I have notes from her uh her presentation. Oh, <laughs> it's wow. kind of funny. So I still have it. And I was just going, I, I take notes in this little thing too, occasionally while I'm doing podcasts. And so I kind of looked at the notes and I was like, oh, that's too funny. But anyway, she had this phenomenal um, presentation. And I thought, especially right now with COVID and everybody having just so much stress and, and probably doing that whole emotional stress eating thing that Renee would be the perfect person. She's so down to earth. I just love her. She's so calm. She's just so calm. And so she kind of makes me feel. So anyway, welcome Renee. That was a big old long introduction. <laughs> Thank you for having me. That was lovely. <laughs> First of all, just to get this out of the way, what exactly is emotional eating? What does that mean? Give us a kind of a definition or something. Sure, sure. Emotional eating is when you're eating, but you're not hungry, but you're eating to soothe yourself for any emotional reason that drives you to food. Very good and precise. Love it. <laughs> okay, let's get some background info on you so people can kind of understand why you do what you do and how, how your journey has gone. What kind of issues did you have uh, through the years that really made you be so passionate about this whole uh, emotional eating thing? I was an emotional eater. I think I may have come out of the womb as an emotional eater. Um, my it was, it's just the way we soothed ourselves uh, when, where I was growing up, right? So I went on my first diet when I was 10. My mother thought that was a good idea so that we'd get things sorted out early and then we would, I'd be fine for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, she also was an emotional eater. And when you're 10, you can't tell your mom, no, mommy, we can't do that. Um, but it, it, it started a cycle for me, and I have often said I spent 40 years on the diet yo-yo. And, you know, the diets were fine. They were fine. They all worked. It was fine. But I would sabotage myself because if I got upset or if I got stressed or if I was mad about something, I was born redheaded, you know, frustration, stubbornness, anger, um, then I would go get something to eat. And that always worked. So I have to say, I was 70s fat. So I, I never really gained more than about 50 pounds. But I gained and lost it many times over those 40 years. I hear that. Now, did you ever have any issues like as far as eating disorders go? Did, did that ever morph into anything more than... Did, than the emotional eating. I mean, that, that's a pretty big issue, but anything else that kind of really hindered your progress? Well, I think, um, you know, the anorexia, the bulimia, all of that sort of came to, uh, to light in the eighties when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And I can't say that I didn't try any of that stuff for the purpose of weight loss, but no, it never grabbed me. Thankfully. Wow. 
Yeah, that, uh, lucky, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so if, let's go ahead and just get to this. If go on I, I came to you as a client and I mm -hmm. said, you know what, I've been doing, say, keto, carnivore, low-carb, whatever, diet for two years, okay? And I've had great success. I'm obviously fat-adapted, okay? So we'll get that, the whole hormone part of the equation out of it. My hormones are balanced. I'm fat-adapted. But gosh dang it, sometimes when I'm just feeling kind of sad or depressed or something, I just, I, I binge and then I just go down this rabbit hole and I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm such a failure. Oh, How do you deal with that? So what are your steps? Would you start with that person? I would start with saying, you know, you learn that behavior as a baby. Because when a baby cries, we put something in his mouth, whether it's the bottle or a breast or a pacifier. We learn from birth that we can soothe ourselves by putting something in our mouths. So that was taught to you. And it's okay. Your mother, your grandmother, your father, all the, they were all doing what they thought was best for you. But that means you're not a failure. You just learn the behavior just like you learned a lot of behaviors. And what we can do is try to unlearn some of those behaviors and install good ones because there is nothing like lifestyle change for getting where you want to go. So when I, when I work with a client, um, you know, one of my taglines is face your stuff, don't stuff your face because we get caught up in our stuff. And it's just easier to put something in our mouths than it is to deal with it and make the changes we need to. And I tend to work with people on three basic areas, your body, your baggage, your best. So once we find the, the nutrition plan that actually works for your body, and you know, I've done keto for five years. I love it, it works for me. And it changed my life because suddenly I wasn't hungry all the time anymore. It doesn't seem to work for everyone. So I typically say, what has worked for you? What do you want to try? You pick your diet, whatever works for you. And we'll just tweak it to make sure that it is working for you. And then we work on your emotional baggage. Because if you've got that self-sabotaging thing on your shoulder all the time, you're never going to get through it. You've got to deal with that in order to free you up to make the choices you want to make, not just what that baggage is saying you need. And then we work on your best. Who are you when you're at your best? Because when you don't have the baggage bothering you and you're acting as your best more often, what problem is a diet going to be? So that's, that's how I tend to work with people. Okay, I like that. Expand a little bit more on what you mean by your best. Like, what does that look like? Well, when, when you are acting as your best self, Amber, what gets in your way? Not a lot. Mm. I mean, if you're making your choices from feeling your absolute best, are you going to make choices that are good for you? Are you going to make choices that will um, skew res your results as it were? 
Yeah, that, that's, that's what I love when, when you say that. I love that because it is true. Because when you are at your best, you're strong. And it's a lot harder to break through that barrier because you're like, uh, no, you're not going to mess with me because I, I feel good about myself. I'm confident. I know what I'm doing is, is right. And, you know, I, I'm on the right path. You can't touch me. You can't dog my diet because I know that I feel good. You know, so I'm at, you know, it's, it's like you have this invisible barrier that, that, you know, it's harder to, to penetrate. Yeah. You're standing in your strength. Yeah. And you make good choices from that. Yeah, I love when you said that. I, I, th I think that, that that is like really good. Okay, so what if you had a, and this has been going on a lot, and, and it's kind of been brought to light by Jimmy Moore, because he had this really traumatic past. And he fully believes that through that traumatic past, that it has affected his health and yeah. eventually his weight. Okay. And, um, you know, there's all this talk about the ACE study, the, um, uh, well, I can't remember what it stands for now, early, uh, adverse, uh, early, you know, childhood things, um, mm -hmm. happening. And so, um, how does that play in? What, what if you have somebody that say comes from a background of abuse and do you feel that that had a very, um, you know, harsh impact on their, their health and their ability to, you know, uh, or inability uh, of, you know, keeping themselves from soothing, you know, by stuffing their face? Absolutely. And okay. So one of the things that, that helped me along the way was I, and I, I have this in my book because it's such an interesting story. When I was in uh, kindergarten, the first semester or the first six weeks, they gave me a report card and the report card was in a manila envelope. And in the top right-hand corner, they'd put my initials. And I thought this was fabulous. You know, I was home. Uh, my parents were, we were with a babysitter. The parents weren't home yet. And I thought, I can do my initials. I can do that. That'd be fun. I'll be creative and write my initials. So I wrote my initials all over the envelope thinking, everyone's going to be so proud of me. <laughs> yeah, well, my parents were teachers. So destroying school property is not necessarily a good thing. And when my teacher saw it the next day, I mean, I go back to school, right? I've got it inside my coat because I'm so ashamed of myself. Oh. And my teacher, whom I adored, looked at it and went, and I was just devastated, right? That had an effect on my self-esteem, on my belief in myself, on my belief that I could be creative in a productive way. So I spent years saying, I'm not, I'm not creative. I'm not creative. I can't do that. Wow. Just like that had an effect on me at five years old and started all kinds of issues. Anything that happens to us in our younger years has an effect. You just may not have recognized it or you were you were balanced enough in other areas that it didn't bother you as much. But absolutely, those formative years are huge. 
Now, I often say when I was, when I was like, before I started school, my mother used to say, you ate like a bird, just a little bit all day long. You didn't worry about the whole clean plate club. I'd put some plastic or foil over your plate and put it in the refrigerator. And when you wanted some more, we'd bring it back out. And you probably got enough calories over the course of the day, but you know, you weren't going to sit down and eat. Okay. Wonder what happened to that child? Because that would be really helpful now, wouldn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> but going to school and having to fit into certain hours mm. that affected how I worked with food. So they all have an effect on us. We just don't necessarily have a negative effect or a positive effect, but some effect definitely has. Wow, that's crazy. So it doesn't even have to be something that's all that big of a deal. Because like as an adult and you look back, you know, I mean, for you, of course, but it, it, me hearing it, I'm going, oh, well, that's so sad. But, you know, ah, that was yeah. just, you know, and you don't think about it again, not that big of a deal. But right. for somebody who has had extreme abuse, whether it's mm. mental, emotional, physical, whatever, that, that abuse, oh my goodness, I can't even imagine what that oh, would no. do if something that small had that big of an effect on you. Yeah, because it all comes out of your own filter, doesn't it? Right? How I experienced it, what, you know, someone with abuse issues, um, did that come from someone they trusted and will they ever trust someone again? There are just so many ways it can go and you can't predict you know, I, I remember telling my mother about this and she was like, that did that? I'm five. I didn't know. Right? So whatever, whatever you feel about it, whatever meaning you made of it is the important thing. That's, that's so true. That is so true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I work, um, I do part of my work in a behavioral health hospital. And we have people who come through with all kinds of abuse and bless them. You know, it's, it's huge and it does make a, a difference. And it's important if that's true for you to make sure you get the help that you need. You know, for me, a counselor did it. It was like, Oh yeah, we can, we can fix that. But for the, the bigger the trauma, the more significant the damage. Yeah. I, you know, I've had some little things, but nothing major happened. And it, and it was more like having to do with a uh, perception of my body and mm. the, the negative, you know, because I was a little bit different than, than the typical 10 year old. Cause I'd already started to develop. So that automatically made me fat. And sure. even though I really wasn't. And um, so I got teased a lot and, mm. you know, ridiculed, especially by the girls. And that, you know, really affected my, my, you know, my perception of myself to this day. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I recognize that now to somebody else, they probably, okay, whatever. But until you've lived it, you don't really understand what that impacted. And that took me a long time to really understand, like, like what you're saying. It, it, it takes some time to really uncover where that all started, why. And mm -hmm. until you do, I mean, how does that work? I mean, if you can't recognize it, it's very hard to actually succeed and move ahead, right? It does help to have somebody to talk things through with. I mean, I had not connected that. Just had not connected that. And mm -hmm. I was working with this, this person and, you know, he, he asked me a question and he said, just give me the first answer that comes out of your head. I was like, 
I was five. And I thought, five? Where did that come from? I, I don't know where it came from. So we just worked back through and, you know, we didn't have time to finish that day. And it was actually the next morning when I was blow drying my hair. I have lots of hair. It takes a while, right? So I'm blow drying and it suddenly all started to click together. I was like, oh my word, that's what it was. Well, I can undo that. But until you know, yeah, you don't have that option. We do behaviors, repeated behaviors. And why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep doing that? Because somewhere within you, your subconscious thinks that's going to help you one way or another. It's, it's probably how you learned it at the time. It's the way you survived at the time. And until you see it, you can't pick it apart. Exactly. But once you do, you're free. Yeah. And I think a lot of people, especially now, the whole mental health thing is starting to get a little bit better, but there's so much attitude to that. Like if you, you know, you go get therapy or you go to a council, you know, and it's, it's like this negative thing, but I mean, it is getting better now and more people are more open to actually go get help. Mm. But how do you deal with that? I, I mean, you know, when you're living in a world where that is so negative and people are struggling to have the confidence or the, the, the will or whatever to actually go get help, what can they do? What, what, you know, how, how can they help to overcome that to go get the help? Hey, they don't have to tell anybody. This is something you can do privately. Um, you know, unless you need somebody else to pay for it or insurance or whatever. But, you know, I think the stigma that once was is now kind of going away, particularly with the, the advent of all the coaching stuff. And coaches and counselors and therapists, they're all different, right? They're all different. But, you know, people have others that they talk to. This is just a professional who can get you there further and faster, right? So you can do it privately, or you can say, you know what? Living the way I've been living all this time isn't working for me. And I am holding enough of myself together to say, I need the help. You know, unless you want to live with that forever, which is torturous, get the help you need. There, there are lots of choices out there, lots of different ways to go about it. But it can set you free. And that's cool. It is. And I'll admit, I, I let things go because I didn't really even understand there were issues going on until mm -hmm. it just came to a front. And then I just melted down and it was like, I'm broken. I'm mm -hmm. broken. I don't know what's wrong with me. I can't fix it. I'm just broken. I, I, I'm beyond help. I'm broken. And uh, that's, I let mine go too long. And mm -hmm. then, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to go see a, a, a counselor. And, and I did. And it made all the difference in the world. And then I was finally like, you know what? I'm okay. I'm not broken, you know? And, and so you're so correct when it is this freeing feeling because you don't have to think of yourself as this broken little thing that, you know, needs fixing. Oh. Mm. Yeah. You're not, no one is broken. Your spirit may be damaged, 
You may need some patching up here and there, but most of that patching is on what you think of yourself rather than Absolutely. what someone else does. Because if, if back to the best self, if you are feeling good about who you are, who cares what somebody else says? That is the absolute truth. And again, it goes back to this, you have this barrier around you that, you know, is so much harder to penetrate because you are, you know, you know, and the more knowledge you have about your own self, whether it's through diet or, you know, like you're talking about the, the mental and emotional part, it's huge. It's huge. It helps you take back your power. Yes. And recognize you're not a victim. Yes. No matter what's happened to you, you're not actually a victim. People perpetrated things on you, but you don't have to be a victim. I love that. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, because you see that all the time, you know, people being the victim. No, you don't have to do that. Stand up, you know, fight back, do what you need to do, take care of yourself. And And it's hard. I I, I recognize, I mean, if, if you're, if you believe you're broken down, mm-hmm. it's hard to stand in that because you have so many questions. But again, if you get some help, they can help you stand up again. Because in the end, you've got to stand up. It's okay to ask for help, people. It is. It's promise. Okay. It is. Yes. It's, it's good. It's a good thing. It's fine. Sometimes you just need to talk to somebody and that's okay. It's good. Yeah. You know, because it's a healed fine. you is amazing. It is. And when you, when you're healed all the way around, Oh, I'm talking, that is like, woo. Yeah. <laughs> That's the sweet spot you want to be in right there. That's it. Yeah. Cause then you can live your life. You can be happy, you mm. know, and, and until you achieve that, you don't really even understand what that means. Right. You just yeah. don't. Okay, let's get to, you talk a lot about uh, certain things that trigger people and cause them to emotionally eat. Talk a little bit about that. What do you mean by trigger and what are some examples and what have you seen in your clients? So um, it can be frustration. You know, any emotional imbalance, you know, the Somebody said they were going to do something and then they canceled the last minute or didn't show up and didn't bring it forth. Or you bought something that you thought was going to be fantastic and it turned out to be not. Um, Fight with the family. Um, A child who will not do what you said to do. You know, anything that causes you a moment of "Mm!" or sadness. Uh, you know, whatever it happens to be, can trigger a, a response, right? Because we're, we're pretty much action, reaction, action, reaction. Something happens, we react. And if you were always soothed with food, when you need soothing, you're going to go do that. My, my, um, my best signal that I'm not doing well is when I'm circling the refrigerator to get to the peanut butter, right? Because that was my, that was my soothing food. And once you learn that, it's like, okay, it's not the peanut butter I'm really looking for here. What I'm looking for is soothing. What I'm looking for is affirmation. What I'm looking for is someone to say, it's okay, you're fine. And 
let's do something different here. Um, other people may do sugar, right? Any form of sugar, cake, or whatever your favorite sweet thing is. Um, but it can, it can be triggered by anything, and everybody has their own soothing food. And it often goes back to an experience you had. Men are, are really um, consistent about wanting ice cream in the evening. Almost every guy is like, yeah, I just want my ice cream in the evening. That's my husband. Interesting. Yeah. So think about it, boys, sports. If um, they lose a game, coach would take them for ice cream or pizza. Easy, right? And they associate that negative event with ice cream. So they've been at work all day. They've taken it from the boss or whoever. They, they feel like they won or lost whatever. And the soothing thing for them is ice cream. One guy said to me, he said, I just want to be a little bad. Okay, ice cream is bad? Well, no, but it's not on my diet. But it's kind of a safe thing to do. Okay, well, at least it's not, you know, getting drunk or something, right? So, you know, we all have our foods that relate to something in our past. And if you figure out what you're looking for, you can find a different way to get it. Whether it's being a little bad or just okay, I don't feel like I won today. So the ice cream is the reward for that. It's all about rewards in the end. Yeah, I, I can get that. So what do you, how do you help somebody understand that they're being triggered by certain things? What kind of exercises or whatever to get them to recognize it? Because that's the first part, because you don't even know that you're doing it. How do you get them to stop, be aware, recognize, and find the triggers? Most people know, truly down in their hearts, they know. They may say, I don't know. And I'm like, yeah, you do. Let's, let's work on that. So what I typically do is say, let's walk through an experience. Pick one. How many of you had in the last week or two weeks, however long it's been since I've seen them? And we'll just walk our way through it. Okay. So it was Thursday afternoon. The boss came in. You went straight to the vending machine. Where, what, where was that? What, 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 at what point did you get up out of your chair to go to the vending machine? And we just kind of work our way back through it. Or, you know, they may say, well, I had, um, Big thing of fries. What happened right before that? There's always a trigger, but sometimes you have to walk hand in hand through it to find it. I mean, most people know what their trigger food is. This, when I'm feeling this, this is what I go for. But finding the, the moment where that kicked in and what you were feeling and what you were thinking and what had been going on, and you just look at all of those pieces in order to find how to then disarm that trigger. 
Yes. I, I, I kind of do that with my clients too. The ones who like the scenario I gave you in the very beginning, you know, like mm-hmm. I do all this, but then all of a sudden I just binge on, I don't know why. And I'm like, okay, well here, but first you got to figure out what it is that is causing you to do that. So start, just, just do it for a week, write down when this happens, write down what you're feeling, what happened right beforehand mm-hmm. and see if there's a pattern. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, most of the time, yeah, they figure it out and they're like, oh, so it makes them become more aware. And, and so they, you know, can focus more on that. And, and so, okay. So once they find that trigger, now what, what can they do now? What are some suggestions to some of the, the things you can do are don't buy that food. That's the easiest one. Just, I didn't buy peanut butter for like 18 months because I, I couldn't trust myself. Right. Um, you might make sure you have an alternative something like, um, you know, the, the family has all these colorful foods or it, it's just special something or the other. Find your own special thing that fits within your parameters. Or one of the things I like to do with people is have them set alarms for the time when they normally begin to feel vulnerable. A lot of people need that four o'clock snack, right? A strong keto or carnivore, and then you're not that hungry, that four o'clock dip, right? So set an alarm for that time or half hour before on your phone so that when it goes off, you can read something encouraging to you. So I have alarms that go off all through the time of day. And one of the ones that I, I have now is, is that who you want to be? To remind me to be prepared for whatever might not go the way I want it to go. So, I mean, there, it, it is about awareness, but it's also about choosing something different. You know, the, the keto or carnivore, you're choosing specific foods that fit with who you want to be. And you choose that every day, maybe every hour, until it becomes natural for you. Practice. So, yeah, yeah. So just, just coming up with some kind of plan that fits you for that moment. And I, I always find it's really important for them to identify what they believe will work because, you know, I've had clients who are like, yeah, I don't set alarms. That's not going to work for me. Okay, what will work? Because we've got to find the, the plan that fits you or you won't do it. So are you saying that people are different and respond differently? <laughs> oh, yeah. When, when, when I uh, get a new client, I have them do two personality profiles. Partly for them, but partly for me, so I'll know how to approach them. Because there are, you know, we, we're all different. I need external accountability to get things done. That works for me. Some people don't need that at all. They get their own stuff done. Some people want to just ask a lot of questions and make sure they agree with you before they do it. But I, I have a lot of people, it's interesting. I've been watching it over the last year and it's like, wow, I'm just getting a lot of people who do not respond to external expectations, nor even their own. And if I went to that person the same way I would approach it for myself, that would not work. Would not work. 
Everybody's different and it's fine, but it helps if we know how to relate to each other and how to make choices mm -hmm. for our own best in order to accomplish the goals we want. And that's the same with diet. And that's why I get like real irritated with, with such a diet dogma. Mm. And, you know, I do believe that there is a better way of doing things, you know, where you have more stable hormone balances and stuff like yeah, that. And there are certain things that I just don't think anybody needs, period. But beyond that, there's like this whole range where you can fit in. You don't have to, you know, fit in this exact box and identify as that, you know, say carnivore. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, that's kind of the same thing. Everybody's different. So they have to approach it different. And that's okay. That's yeah. okay. It's like, we don't so all have to be the same. No. And, and, and you shouldn't. I mean, who is exactly the same? I mean, we mm. share a lot of similarities. We're mm -hmm. humans. Well, hopefully most of us are. I question a few people, but you know, <laughs> for the most part, right? And so that you're going to have to treat it differently. Well, I think about when I actually lost my weight in 2012, I lost it on a low fat, low calorie diet. And I was miserable. And I was miserable for the two years after that, trying to maintain it. And it wasn't until I tried again, a low carb diet. At one point, my husband asked me never to do that again, because apparently I was kind of ratty during the keto flu kind of section. <laughs> so this time I took it down slowly rather than shocking my body into it. And I have never been that hungry again. I mean, when I, get, when I get hungry now, it's like, oh, I'm hungry, I need to eat. But it's not like I'm going to eat the house as soon as I get home kind of hungry. But I didn't know that until 2014. And I was doing what I was told would work for me. Starving, cranky, tired all the time. But my body needed something different. Yeah. You know, I have a close cousin can't do keto to save her soul, right? She just has all kinds of problems with it physically. It doesn't work for her. I'm like, go eat your vegetables. Go, 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 go do that. Don't worry about this. You don't have to do that. You know, we have to find what works for us physically, mentally, emotionally. What works for you works for you. And that's fine. Absolutely. Now, okay, let's talk a little bit about diet and how that kind of plays in with, with the whole emotional eating thing. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure you probably have noticed, like, it, it's a little bit easier to deal with other issues when the diet part is dealt with. And what I mean by that is when your hormones are steady, you're not mm -hmm. having these spikes and crashes all over the place that affect your mood and your, your emotional mental health. You're not having all that craziness. That's got to be a lot easier to deal with, you know, so you can not worry about that and just focus on the, you know, baggage, if you will. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, what I often say is when you're not eating for emotional reasons, you save yourself a ton of calories and macros because you're not then going and soothing with food and going off your plan. But once that, that actually sometimes takes care a lot of, of a lot of the emotional things because the insulin thing up and down mm -hmm. can make you crazy. <laughs> yeah. And it, it, I know for me, um, taking out 
all of the excess of carbohydrate section evened out my mood. And there are times still when I will say something and my husband looks at me and says, who are you and what you do with my wife? <laughs> yes, love. Sorry. I must've been kind of, you know, moody before. <laughs> well, and let's face it. When you're having these spikes and crashes and you're constantly hungry, mm. it's miserable. Like you stated, I, I lost weight so many times, big chunks of weight, 80 to hundred pounds, multiple times. And all these other little chunks doing it the low fat, low calorie way. Like you're told you do, you know, okay. and you move more, you eat less, blah, blah, blah. It has to be. Blah, low blah, fat. Blah. Yeah. And it's miserable. That and it is like, Oh, and then you finally get to the point where you're like, you know, I just can't do it anymore. And so that, if you're also having all this emotional baggage, yeah. I mean, that, that's just a disaster waiting to happen. As far as I'm concerned, I mean, you know, well, if you're not miserable and it works for you, that's all great. But Well, know. once, once you've got the food thing, right, then you just deal with the emotional things. And I, I have this acronym that I get out. It's not hard. You just have to get the hang of it. And the H is, am I hungry? If you're hungry, eat. If you're not hungry, what is the A, attraction to food? And if it's, well, I just need this or that. Okay, so what is it that you actually need? That's the end. What is it you actually need? Do you need to take a walk? Do you need five minutes with the dog? Do you need just some soothing? What is it that you actually need? And once you identify that, then the G is go. Go get that because that will soothe you more than food ever possibly could. So, yeah, once you get the diet thing worked out, A, it tends to help with some of the emotional issues. But it also allows you the mental and emotional energy to focus on that. You know, if you're not worried about food so much, you can just deal with the emotional stuff. You get a lot further along. I, I, I totally agree. And as you know, I do some of the success stories for Meet RX. So mm. you hear these stories all the time. And one of the things they say is, oh, it helped me, you know, uh, deal with my emotional eating or my binge eating disorder, whatever it might be, what, however they wanted to classify it. And because, you know, I'm, I'm not hungry and I don't have these moods and I'm more, you know, and, and so there is something huge to that. It doesn't mean that just because you go on this diet, you no longer have that baggage. No. But it just makes the whole eating to soothe yourself a lot easier. May yeah, not you're go not away. as much. Yeah. And sometimes you, you just get to the point where you don't care. I mean, to me, food is not the same. I don't look at it the same. And like my husband is funny because he finds that sad. And I'm like, I find it freeing. Yes. <laughs> you know, I spent my yeah. whole life, you know, uh, consumed with food. From the minute I woke up to the minute I went to bed, probably dreamed mm. about it too. And mm. so for me to not have that connection anymore to food, it's awesome. It's freedom <laughs> to me. I do not care. I do not need to get entertained by food or soothed by food. I don't need that anymore. You know, it's like, yeah. it, it's freedom. It feels good. Yeah, it's I bet. Like, yeah. Uh, that was huge to me. So, you know, mm. to say, oh, you're, you're deprived or you're, you're you know, restricting yourself I'm restricting myself of being miserable. That's how you I'm go. Because <laughs> yeah, once you, once you kind of get free of some of the garbage and the rubbishy foods, you do feel better. 
you just do feel better. I mean, I, I know if, you know, we go see the in-laws and have various things that we don't have at home. And I know for two days after that, I'm going to have to be careful what I say because it makes me a little ratty. Yeah. So I have to be really careful not to eat my husband alive or something like that because it just does. And that's what I hear that's that a lot. Cool yeah, no, I, I hear that. And, you know, it's been so long for me now that I don't really connect any of that. I don't know if I, I probably did, I'm sure, but I don't really even remember that because I haven't felt that in so long that, you know, I don't even remember all that. But I'm sure my family probably does. Oh, good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> hey, here she comes. Get out the way. Oh, I do remember stabbing a few people who tried to reach for my food, though, with my fork, you know, yeah. <laughs> in a joking way, in a joking way. <laughs> don't mess with my food, you know? <laughs> okay. So, okay. With all this COVID stuff going on mm. and so much emotion, so high and depression and just, it's just not a good situation mm. for most people and, and yeah. the lack of social interaction, which causes more depression, et cetera, mm. isolation. Are you noticing more people reaching out to you? and trying to help with, uh, you know, dealing with the whole situation through stuffing their face, basically? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, we had a spike in April of people saying, okay, I've gained 20 pounds and um, I need to deal with this because it's all emotional eating. What concerns me more, Amber, is what it's going to be like in the new year because this is definitely having an adverse effect on our mental health. Oh yeah. I mean, divorces, suicide, depression, all kinds of things going on. The behavioral health hospital is bursting at the seams mm. for various people having, you know, flares of their issues. <clears throat> We've got to do something about it. And there's, we're kind of caught because there's some we, we can't do some things because we don't want to spread the virus, but we've got to find a way to meet needs for people. Yeah, just do. I, and I hear this a lot. And some of my uh, good friends who are, you know, some of the bigger influencers are having this issue, and it breaks my heart. I mean, I feel it too, but I don't feel the same stress. I think because I do. I mean, I have my grandbaby. My daughter lives next door, and we do have a little bit more freedom where I live. So it's not as, uh, eh, you know, like occasionally we still get to go out and dance at our dance hall and stuff like that. So oh, yeah. we are getting some, you know, outlet. But there are a lot of people who live alone and they already have issues. You know, yeah. like my, a, a guy my husband works with and they've been working from home since this whole thing started. And he already had an issue with emotional eating. I want to mm -hmm. tell you, he already did. And, you know, yeah. And it's just sad. I feel bad for these people. And, you know, I don't know. What can we do? I mean, <laughs> I mean you know. Yeah, I mean, it, if, you, if you're having to be alone, it just makes it worse. You don't have, I, you know, I've talked to friends uh, via Zoom. To, she said, I got nobody. I can't get a hug off of anybody. Wow, that's hard. Yeah. You know, test, test the fortitude, you know. Um, but I think it's important for us to check on our friends. You know, do the Zoom calls. Stand outside. 
you know, if you can meet outside, both wear a mask, do the social distance, whatever, mm -hmm. just do your best to look after your friends. It's important right now. Yeah, it really is. I, I'm seeing so much of it. It's so sad. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. Let me see. Let me make sure I got all this. <laughs> Let's see what we're doing. Oh, we're doing good. Okay. Oh, this is a huge one. And you've talked about this. What is the role of negative self-talk? Oh, yeah. Why would you want that? Yeah. You know, why would you, we, we're, we're terrible about beating up on ourselves. Mm -hmm. If somebody else isn't beating up on ourselves, then we start saying, you're a loser. I can't believe you did that. And it's like, stop, just stop doing that. It doesn't help at all. I mean, what good ever came from that? The idea is that we will guilt or shame ourselves into doing better. But it seldom works that way. What normally happens is we get caught in that shame spiral and we get deeper and deeper and deeper and we can't do anything then. There's no way out of that if you get caught up in that. Unless, you know, you say, wait a minute. Okay, whoo, that was a lot of thinking and can step out of it. But the... What I often tell people is, if that's going on, think of it like a river. You can watch those thoughts go by. You can swim in it if you want to, but get out of the water after a certain period of time. Let it be a river. Don't make yourself a reservoir for all of that thinking because you will drown. I like so that. Negative thinking doesn't help you at all. There's, I think sometimes no it's point. really hard though. Um, you know, like when you feel so bad about yourself as a person, like it could be from a, a you know, something so simple as what happened to you with the, mm -hmm. the initial thing. And, and, and then you, you just, you're so used to doing that yeah. that you, you can't even look the in habit. the mirror. Yeah. So there's gotta be a point. Cause I, I know I would look in the mirror and I would be like, Oh my God, you look like a cow. Moo, moo. You know, <laughs> and I would literally moo at myself yeah. and you know, I can remember. And what did that do for you? It made me feel pretty crappy. Made me feel like a cow. <laughs> yeah. That's why I was mooing. I don't know, but yeah, it, it's, 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 it's a terrible thing. And we are so mean to ourselves. Would I ever, ever say that to a person and other than totally joking that that would couldn't even possibly be taken serious no i would never mm. you know and most mm. people wouldn't i mean i'm sure there's a few that would but yeah. i mean you're crueler to yourself than you would be to any other person yeah. wow. and it's a habit that you've created and allowed to continue and if you can break that habit you know every time i say something negative to myself i then must come up with five positive things I like that. Then you tend to get fed up of having to think, okay, okay. I haven't said today, I've got to stop doing this because this is not fun. You know, and you know, there are, there are always positive things to find and you find what you're looking for. So if you're looking for all the ways you're not doing well, you're going to find them. But if you look for things that you are doing well, you can always find them. And the thing is those negative thoughts, You've got this thought, it's coming through. If you get out of its way and let it continue, it won't land. But the more you resist that thought, the more it holds to you. And it usually takes like 90 seconds for the thought to go through. And that thought then creates, oh, now I feel bad about myself. It creates that emotion. 
And it's the emotion we're really reacting to, not the thought. It's gone. So if we just kind of let it flow, don't become the reservoir, you'll be fine. I like that. And, and you talk a lot about also the, the shame and guilt. You just brought mm. that up. Talk a little bit about that because I, I think we all kind of feel that, it, especially like when we think we're failures, you know, it's like we're embarrassed because, you know, especially if you put yourself out there and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm say it's a diet. Oh, I, I went on this diet. Oh, I lost 50 pounds. Yeah. And I gained it back. Mm. You know, then there's the guilt and then you feel the shame. So how do you deal with that? How do you stop that cycle? You stop regaining the weight. But here's the thing. Guilt, sure. I did something I shouldn't have. That's fair enough. How can I do that better next time? Shame isn't appropriate. Because your value, shame is, guilt is I did something wrong. Shame is I am wrong. And your value is not on the table here. We're not discussing that. You have value. End of story. So let the shame go. Guilt you can deal with. Guilt you can say, okay, now I need to do something different. This time I need to stay on track. I need to, and it's much more action orientated, whereas shame is just passive. You just let that happen to you. And you you let it be rather than fighting against it. And I I recognize that that is a hard thing to do. And you Mm. probably need some help to learn how to do that. But you can. You can do that. And when we get the picture kind of righted again, then it's easier to manage. Absolutely. I I like that because it, it kind of makes guilt not seem so horrible. Like you can turn it into something positive because, okay, now I did this. What can I do better? So you can turn that and spin it and make it a positive instead of a negative. I like that. That's good. What did you learn from that experience and what will you do differently next time? Yeah. Okay. So we are about time, about out of time. So what kind of advice would you give somebody who feels like they're really struggling right now? What, What would you say to them with emotional eating specifically? Specifically, I would say, get what you actually need, not what you've always given yourself. Get what you are craving emotionally. Instead of trying to stuff down your feelings and follow it with a food chaser. If that's a coach, get a coach. If it is a friend who can help you, get that friend to help you. External accountability helps the majority of people. And if you, if you can find someone to help you, hold you accountable, you'll more likely stay on track. I like that. Okay, so for anyone who wants to uh, talk with Renee, I will have her information below. And while you're here, subscribe to my channel and follow Renee. I'll have her information, all of it down there. Um, she's a wonderful person to talk to. I've talked to her multiple times and she's so sweet and she's so calm. She's just so calm. It just <laughs> kind of makes you when you're feeling all, she's just kind of, oh. so sometimes I'll just watch her videos and I'm like, okay, I'm good now. <laughs> so be sure to follow her. She's a super sweet person. She knows what she's talking about. And thank you, Renee, for coming on. I really appreciate it. I think a lot of people could really use some advice on the emotional eating specifically right now.
Thank so, you for having me, Amber. Absolutely. And you have a wonderful day. Thanks again, Renee.